Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity for all of us to be here. Lord, here is your army. Here is your team of people on the medical side to do your work. And we pray, Father, for strength, for wisdom. We pray for guidance. We pray for energy, Lord. The devil tries to beat us down. But Lord, give us strength, give us energy, and give us those openings that we can come in and in combination with our church uh, members as well, be part of the team that leads people to you because we know you are coming soon. Be with us in this talk today, Lord. Be with me. I don't want them to hear me, Father. I want them to hear you. And be with us, and thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have uh, certainly uh, am happy that we were able to come. My wife is next door, I think, listening to another talk, and we arrived about 12.30 this morning uh, from Michigan. But uh, my first time here, it looks like a pretty nice part of the world <laughs> here in, uh, in uh, Hilton Head. But um, I want to start off with, with uh, one of my favorite verses, and that is found in Psalms 139.14. I will praise you, read it with me, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. We are here in one of the parks in Utah. I think this one is, um, maybe either Zion or one of the other ones, but uh, right behind us, it drops down about a thousand feet. And and all the different rock formations, and as you look at it, it is beautiful. Now, when you read about how God created our world, it didn't look like this. It was even better. But even in a sin-affected state, we see the wonder of God in everything we look at. Would you agree? And uh, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, when, uh, when Dr. Lawrence asked me to speak on pain management, that's fine. But when he threw in, I want you also to talk about pain management as an opportunity for lifestyle change. I go, how do you do that? <laughs> that makes it even tougher and even harder. But he said, you can do it. You can do it. So I appreciate his encouragement. By the way, he's the one that recruited me for Amen one, uh, and the, very inter instrumental in helping me to become a member here of Amen. I appreciate that. Our objectives are, are uh, I try to keep it simple, and what I did today is to, a bit, to try to accomplish what he wanted me to do with these objectives, to review the major sources and treatment of, of pain in the neck and back, uh, causes and prevention as it affects us in, in uh, the, the medical field, and how, especially this one, how it can be used as a motivation for life, lifestyle change. What I ended up doing was I took pieces of different talks and, and, uh, uh, from different lectures and combined them into this lecture today. So uh, you'll probably see, uh, you'll probably figure out which slides came from what, what talk and try to kind of make it look the same. But that's what uh, we're going to try to do. I, we'll, hopefully we'll be able to get through everything. We have a lot of material to cover. Hopefully there'll be uh, a little uh, time for left. In uh, all the, the scientific talks, you've got to put up your disclaimers. I'm a consultant for a couple of different spine companies. I don't get any royalties. It has nothing to do with today, but there it is anyway. You know, for every good thing that God has for us, the devil has a counterfeit, amen? He takes a beautiful thing and tries to inflict pain and punishment upon the individual. It can be physical, it can be mental, it can be spiritual, it can be financial, it can be whatever. And just as you see here with this baby on the screen that was born with three legs, think of the suffering, not just of the child, but of the parents and of the staff that had to deal with the with 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 the. Uh, with this particular child and what this child has to go through now to live what we would consider a normal life if it was possible. Oftentimes when you have multiple digits like this, there is some uh, residual uh, issues that, re that maintain some scarring and so forth. And I don't know the particular outcome for this particular uh, baby, but the devil twists and, and just changes things as much as he can for the worse, for the worse. And what, uh, what, we're, what we're here to do is we're here to vindicate God's character, are we not? Yes. We're here to vindicate His character. So when we see things like this, what do you say? How do you treat this kind of pain? How do you tell the parents, we're, uh, we're going to take care of your baby? As, as a parent, I would be terrified uh, that my baby is not going to have a normal life. What do you do? What do you do? How do you tell them that this too, uh, that they will be able to cope with this? You know, God tells us in 3 John 1, Beloved, I wish above all things, above all things, that you may as, uh, prosper and be in health, even as thy what? 
even as thy soul prospers. God doesn't want just physical health for you. He doesn't want just mental health for you. He doesn't want just spiritual health. He wants it all for you. How He wants it all for you. We heard uh, earlier today that uh, God's thoughts are higher than ours. His goals for us is higher than we can even imagine. He wants us to have all health in all things, in all circumstances. Now, the devil comes along and, and throws all the monkey wrenches in it and tries to distort it. And some of us, for whatever reason, um, may feel like we're doomed to live a life of suffering, a life of pain, a life of difficulty. And we know, we all know people that have it worse than, off than we are, right? And we, we see some people that seems like everything bad happens to it. I had a patient who, who uh, I saw in the last uh, few months that had so many issues. Her husband had left her. She's now a single mother. Her, uh, she was found to have two or three different types of cancer. She was being worked up for another one or two. She had some mass. They didn't know what it was. She had back pain which is how, and neck pain, which is how I got her. She had this, 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 this. And by the time she was done telling me about it, she was crying. And I was almost crying with her. How can I handle all that for her? I couldn't. I couldn't deal with it all. I had to deal with my little part of it, and in fact, I couldn't do anything for her because she was pending all these other workups. I said, when we find out what else you've got and what the treatment plan is, then we can maybe deal with your pain. But God does not want that for us. But some people, and I told her, I said, I don't know why this is happening to you, but I do know this. I do know that God says that we can handle all things through Christ, which what? Strengthens me. And I said, I don't know why you are allowed to suffer, but I do know that perhaps there is someone that will see you suffering and see the way that you handle it and therefore give their hearts to God. Because she told me she had just become a Christian. And I said, it may be your role to suffer on this earth because there's somebody that needs to see how you handle it. So your choice is how you handle it. But I will tell you one thing. It's not going to last forever. And one day soon, you'll have a perfect body without all this pain and disease and whatever. And that's the only thing I could do to give her hope. And I was fortunate to be able to pray with her there in my office. We're going to go over a little bit of anatomy to get a little bit of basis for some of the causes of back and neck pain. And when we're born, our, our spine just has this kyphotic curve. This is kyphosis. The other way is lordosis. And as we grow up, we go through transition phases until we get to adulthood. And then we have uh, lordosis uh, in our neck. This is front. This is back kyphosis in the thoracic area, lordosis in the lumbar area, and then kyphosis in the sacrum. Now when you go from one zone to another, when you go from, the, for example, occiput to neck, neck to thoracic, thoracic to lumbar, lumbar to sacrum, sacrum to coccyx, these are transitional zones, and the anatomy may be uh, different. There are people that uh, have 11 sets of ribs, some have 13, uh, normally there's 12, some people have the normal number of five lumbar vertebrae, some have four, some have six, but uh, there's transitional anatomy that, that can occur. The basic building block for a vertebral body, uh, for uh, vertebral segments, you've got the vertebral body up front, and you've got the, the superior and the inferior end plates, and this is where the disc would sit, right up here. And the disc attaches to the, uh, to the bone, and we'll see that. The vertebral body is connected to the elements in the back by a little uh, tubular bone called a pedicle, which branches out to the transverse process. The superior articular facet, which makes one of the joints, the inferior facet, which makes the bottom joint, and each vertebrae has four joints, two with the one above it, two with the one uh, below. They're real joints, just like your hips and knees, but they're tiny, but they're real. And they can get arthritic, they can, they can cause some pain. And then you've got the arch in the back called the lamina. You've probably all have heard of laminectomy. Ectomy means removal of whatever the word in front of it is. And then you have the spinous process. And uh, the transverse process, the, sp uh, the spinous process, they all serve, and the lamina as well, they all serve as ligament attachments, attachments for muscles. And uh, of course, whenever something attaches to something else, there's potential for inflammation at that area, and, and that, that can be sources of pain. There's a difference in anatomy in the spine as you go from the neck all the way down to the sacrum. You start in the cervical spine with a nice capacious canal. In fact, the roomiest there is is right behind the second cervical vertebrae, which has uh, what we call the rule of threes. A third of it is filled with the odontoid, which uh, we'll see in a minute, which is a portion of C2 coming up uh, uh, behind the arch of C1. A third is filled with the spinal cord, and a third is space. Uh, that, that's why uh, when some people break their neck and they break C2, um, not everybody's paralyzed. Now, uh, Christopher Reeves, who played Superman, shattered C2 when he fell off his horse and landed on his head. 
And what happened was that the fragments went back and struck the spinal cord, and right at that area there, it knocked out his respirations. I spoke to the neurosurgeon that operated on him, and I was told if, uh, if there had not been a nurse there that gave him a mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, he would have died from suffocation, couldn't breathe. He was awake, alert, paralyzed, couldn't breathe. So uh, the lady that did that saved his life and uh, prolonged it uh, until uh, he's passed away in the last what, year or two. But as you go down the, in the thoracic spine, you can see it gets narrower, and then it gets a little bit different shape in the lumbar spine. And also the vertebral bodies get bigger as you go down. Um, bigger loads placed on the lower area, so God uh, built us with the foundation from bottom up, right? And then the sacrum is, of course, big, and then uh, here's the uh, half of the sacroiliac joint. The pelvis comes over and attaches right to here. And of course, that's another area that can uh, cause some back and buttock pain. But you have a changes, and uh, these changes uh, are important because in the thoracic spine with the narrower canal, if you have anything that encroaches in that canal, whether it be a bone spur, whether it be a disc herniation, whether it be a tumor, whether it be bleeding, whether it be infection, whatever it may be, there's less room to accommodate, right? So you can have more pressure on the spinal cord. It can lead to more neurological issues. Uh, the nerves come out and come out right underneath the ribs. Here's the rib attaching here. You can have inflammation where the rib attaches to the bone. Um, and uh, uh, it's just narrower. Of course, uh, you throw in scoliosis, uh, where you have deformity of the vertebral bodies as well, with rotation, and uh, everything just gets complicated. Gets real complicated. So these are some of the uh, uh, things that we need to remember. This is C1, looking at it from the top down. Here's the articular surface for the skull. Here's the uh, uh, foramen for the vertebral artery uh, that comes up. The vertebral artery, this is front. Uh, this is the, uh, the joint right here where the uh, C2 comes up and rotates. But the uh, artery comes out of there, comes over at the top here into, into the brain. And this is looking at it from the side. And here's C2. Uh, C1 and C2 are different than all the other vertebral bodies. C2 has the odontoid, which comes up behind here, and then we, we turn on that, and there's the ligament that goes right behind it. And uh, this is what uh, Christopher Reeve shattered, and then the bone went back and, and uh, uh, compressed and damaged the, the vertebral body. There is no disc between C1 and C2. The discs begin between C2 and C3. A lot of patients come to me because their range of motion, they've noticed, is less. And then they notice that now they can't turn as well, and they may be having some difficulty when they're driving, looking at their blind spot. Uh, maybe their work involves repetitive uh, turning of the neck, or uh, they can turn to one side, but they can't turn to the other side. So we assess the range of motion, and we have, uh, uh, God has really made us in such an awesome manner in that our necks, um, we can really turn and uh, see b more of our environment to better take, uh, take care of us. Here you have uh, flexion and extension of the middle, side to side tilt on, the, on, the left, on your left, and uh, rotation over here in what we call the sagittal plane. And uh, conditions of the neck uh, from the skull down to the cervical thoracic junction can affect the ability to move in any one of these planes. And that can uh, uh, cause some issues. Also the back, uh, people lose their range of motion in the back and uh, feel stiffer. Uh, and there are a lot of different conditions that can cause a stiff back. You've got ankylosing spondylitis, for example, which eventually in some, in a, some of the people will autofuse their spine. Some may end up fused like this. I've seen people fused, uh, autofuse like this, and this is, it happened gradually over a number of years, but this is how they walk. Or they come in and they have chin and chest deformity and they cannot raise, so they have to hyperextend or hyper uh, their back to be able to walk forward. Very debilitating. That can be caused by a variety of things, rheumatoid arthritis, it can be caused by uh, ankylosing spondylitis, uh, trauma, uh, uh, different things of that nature. But it can affect your ability to rotate. And just think of, if you can't really move, I had a, a, a gentleman who was 18 years old with ankylosing spondylitis, autofused from the skull to the coccyx. And uh, to sit, you know, he had to sit here, but he developed arthritis of his hips. So now he couldn't bend, he couldn't, couldn't sit, so we had to do hip replacements at the age of 18. Now, you don't want to do that because you know that he's going to need at least two revisions, probably, uh, over the course of his life. Every time you revise it, you lose a little bit more bone stock, makes it a little bit more difficult, more scar tissue, and so forth. But uh, uh, I remember going in to see him in the hospital, and he's laying in the bed, and I'm standing at, at, at a point, I'm talking to him, and he's not looking at me. Why is he looking at me? Oh, he can't turn his head. So I had to go to the 
bottom of the bed so he could see me from where he was laying down. It was just a really sad. Uh, he had good attitude, though, a really good attitude. There you have the different degrees of uh, the range of motion of the spine for the neck, uh, thoracic, and the lumbar. And uh, typically, uh, when I dictate, I will say was able to bend forward and reach the mid legs, reach the knees, proximal thighs, reach the ankles, palm the floor. Uh, Chin was able to, with mouth closed, chin was able to get within two fingers, three fingers, four fingers of the chest, and then the rest are easier to do in, de in degrees. Now, the disc is a really interesting structure. When I was in medical school, uh, they taught us that the disc had no cells in it. It was acellular, but that's not true anymore. Now we know that there are cells in the disc that secrete the different proteins and the different uh, proteoglycans that make up the, the, uh, the internal milieu of, of the disc. And it's a very uh, interesting structure. It's made of uh, several layers uh, uh, that make up the annulus, which is the outer part of the disc. And those layers are about 30 degrees to each other. You can, here you can see the different angulations. They attach to the uh, vertebral body. They overlap the edge. Uh, on this one here, this would probably be the end plate right about here because the disc is coming over. And if you were, couldn't see, but you put your fingers in my chest here and ran your fingers up and down my spine, you could tell which is the disc and which is the bone. The bones are the valleys, the discs are the, are the hills. And you can run up and down, up and down, and, th and that's how you, you can define it. And, uh, what ha and this is, uh, here's the nucleus propulsus, which is, uh, has a lot of fluid content. The disc has a lot of water content. What happens as we get older, it kind of dries out. And then it settles and shrinks as, as it dehydrates. Much like a tire, when it gets low in air, it bulges, right? So when the disc gets low on water, it'll bulge in all directions. And one of those directions is into the canal that can put pressure on the nerves, put pressure on the uh, spinal sac or spinal cord, depending on what level you're at. But a very interesting structure. And uh, very, very tough, very, very hard. Um, and it attaches right here to the end plate. Here you have the Highland uh, cartilage end plate. And when we go into somebody who has collapsed disc, uh, they failed all non-operative management, we will go in and we'll take this disc out. I just did a case with uh, uh, three cases uh, two weeks ago with one of my partners where we came in from the front uh, and just took the whole thing out. And then we put in a, a peak cage. Peak is a polyethyl ether ketone or polyether ether ketone. It's a plastic cage. You fill it with a bone graft substitute and that becomes the spacer and then uh, with screws into the bones, and, and then that fuses. Uh, um, we also have artificial discs now that we can replace this with, although one of them um, just got pulled off the market because insurance wasn't paying for it. It worked great, but insurance just didn't want to pay for it, so now it's not available. It's a real shame because it was working really, really nice. But this uh, has uh, the cells in it. This has a lot of water in it, and when this gets weak, then you have herniation of the material coming right through here. And uh, here it's looking at it from the top down. So you can get cracks in the annulus. You can get uh, cracks going around this way or going out this way and, or just weakness in the walls with some of this, this material that would either come out through the cracks, in which we will call it an extruded disc herniation, or just uh, bulge it out in which is, it would be contained. Now when the discus degenerative starts getting cracks, one of the things that can happen is you can get some nerve fibers growing into the, into the disc, which normally doesn't have them. You'll have some nerve fibers on the outside, but when you have them getting into here, that also can act as a pain generator, and therefore can be a cause of, uh, of pain, uh, whether it be in the, in the neck, in the back, or the thoracic area. And, uh, and that's when uh, you may have to do a, a, a removal of the disc and do a fusion if nothing else will work. There was a procedure called intradiscal electrothermal therapy, IDET, IDET for short, that came out early 2000s. Uh, a couple of brothers invented it out in California, and it became the rage because you just, under x-ray control with the patient awake, insert a needle into the disc, coil an uh, uh, electrode around it, plug it into a machine, step on a pedal, and it'll heat the, uh, the, the, uh, the catheter in here, and then the idea was to uh, shrink wrap this, is what I call it. You know how you take a, uh, something hot uh, to saran wrap, and it kind of shrinks. Uh, if you have a boat, you, you may saran wrap it out for the winter and shrink wrap it. Similar thing like that. It would do that, and it was supposed to then uh, stimulate the body, lay down new collagen to heal any of the fissures that you may be having that could be causing the pain. Also, the heat would kill any nerves coming in here. It, it, uh, there's been some uh, studies now that show it doesn't work as well as it was thought, and, 
Uh, not too many people do it much nowadays, but that was one potential option for controlling pain you think may be coming from a disc. Very complex structure. We're learning more and more about it. One of the things that they're trying to do is, is come up with a nuclear replacement, where instead of taking the whole disc out, you make a little slit in here, take this out, and slip in a prosthesis that uh, will be inside, contained inside the annulus. It will uh, swell up. Um, well, different models. One of the models that I saw, it would swell up with the water, and then you would ride on that annulus, and you would save yourself a fusion. Uh, there are some s prototypes of it that were done years and years ago. I, I attended a lecture where a doctor put up a really ugly looking spine and had these two metal balls in, in the disc spaces. And he, I forgot the name of that particular uh, device, but that was an artificial nucleus. And that was his back, and that was done decades ago. So there's uh, different ways to, to try to cure it. They're also working on trying to do an injection and do um, recombinant uh, DNA injections to try to restore the ability of the cells in the disc to reproduce the matrix that uh, keeps it from, from dropping down. So it may be that uh, in the future uh, you go for your annual disc injections to keep your disc from going bad, to keep you from getting back pain. Who knows? I don't know. But they're working, they're working on that. Uh, this is a very interesting slide. Here you see a cross section through a disc. Here's the annulus. Here's, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, uh, the nucleus. Here's the annulus. Here you see the anterior longitudinal ligament that typically doesn't have uh, much in the line of nerve fibers. Here you have the posterior longitudinal ligament that does have some, but we're going to look at this box right here. You see that little box? It's, a it's just a little microscopic section of the junction of the disc with the vertebral body, and it's over here on this side right here. And uh, what I want you to look at is these little red channels. These are the blood channels right here. See these? All these little vascular channels right here in the, in the end plate of the bone? and uh, going up into the uh, hyaline cartilage end plate. Once you hit 18, between 18 to 20-ish or so, the blood supply to the disc is gone. So how does the disc get its nutrition? How does the disc get rid of its metabolic waste products? Because if you build up metabolic waste products, you're going to have a toxic picture, right? So you want to get rid of those, but you want to get good stuff in. Get rid of the good, bad, bring in the good. It's all done through diffusion, through these, through these vascular channels right here at the junction of the disc with the bone. Now, what do you think would happen if I plug these channels up? You affect your diffusion, right? You're not getting as much nutrition in, and you're building up toxic products, which, what, which happens to lead to degenerative disc disease, which leads to this whole cascade of a spondylitic degenerative changes. You have the disc collapses. Now the facet joints ramp down, and now you have impingement in the foramen where the nerve comes out. I'll show you a slide of that uh, uh, to, to illustrate that a little bit better. And that's what happens with tobacco. That's what happens with tobacco. We, tobacco clogs up these channels. And then what happens is the bone here gets sclerotic. You'll see it as white on, uh, on an MRI. It'll get sclerotic. So now if I quit smoking, and I have sclerotic end plates, that's it. It's not going to go back the other way because the bone has already deposited more bone in that area. So the sclerosis is, is not good uh, because it, it just, even if you quit, now you should quit, uh, your patient should quit because there are other things tobacco does besides just this, right? So they need to quit anyway, uh, but it affects that. Now I really like these slides right here. These slides show us what happens to our disc throughout the day and what happens to our disc throughout the night. Now the one on your left over here shows uh, the, the red arrow show the amount of pressure when you're standing, when you're loading the disc. When you're vertical and you're loading the disc, there's more pressure on the disc. Everybody agree? So when, you're, when, you, when you squeeze a washcloth that's wet, what comes out? Water. So these green arrows are pointing away from the disc, showing the exit of the water. So throughout the days I'm standing and I'm putting load on my disc, I'm losing water in my disc. I can, I can sit there and I can, I can drink some more, which I should throughout the day, for multiple reasons, but at the end of the day, I'll have less water in my disc. Now, look what happens on this one here on your right. The red arrows are, are thinner, there's less pressure when I'm laying down. The, now though, the green arrows, there's more water going into the disc and the disc hydrates. So in the morning, I get up, I get dressed, 
I get in my car to go to work, I have to take my mirror and point it up because I'm taller. At nighttime, after I'm done at the end of the day, I get in my car, oh, the mirror's not right. I have to bring it on because I'm shorter. So uh, we, we get, we're taller in the morning, we're shorter in the evening, unless you work third shift at night, then, you're, then it's reverse for you. And so it's really interesting in the dynamics and how that happens. And here you have the frame, and the frame means an opening. This is where the nerve comes out. Here's your pedicle, the nerve comes out right here. So when this collapses, here's my joint right here. The relationship of the joint is that this is going to ramp down. This is going to get narrower. My nerve coming out here to come on down to my leg is going to get tighter. The, 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 uh, the, uh, the joint there is going to be working abnormally. It's going to de become arthritic, develop arthrosis, develop bone spurs in part which can go into here or into the canal. Also, it's not just the nerve coming down to my leg or coming down to my arm, but it's the nerve that comes up to feed the joint, the nerve that comes out to feed your muscles, and you can see where you can develop multiple uh, causes of back pain. And here it just shows all the, uh, I've got a couple shots of all the different ligaments, and uh, uh, of course any uh, if the ligaments get overly stretched uh, from trauma or whatever, they can be a source of chronic pain as well. Also, if you're like this all the time, what happens to the tissues? They get a little contracted, right? Now, I come in and operate on you, and now I got you like this. Now, how many of you love to stretch your hamstrings? <laughs> oh, we got some that are hamstring stretch lovers, all right. I, oh, it just, it, I don't like it because it hurts, I have to stretch them. But if, I don't if you don't stretch, they're never going to get limber, right? Unless you're one of those blessed. I had a lady I did a two-level fusion on. She came to, I said, how are you doing? I said, your motion. Oh, great. She bent over and palmed the floor. I can't even palm the floor. I've never had back surgery. But, uh, but uh, again, if, if the ligaments are, are, if you're like this for a while, and then you relieve the, uh, whatever's causing you to do that, now you may have some, uh, you have to stretch out your, your soft tissues again to some degree. And, and again, looking at the, uh, uh, the Posterior longitudinal ligament is thicker in the middle, and the, as it's a little thinner as it goes out here. That's why a lot of the disc herniations are not central, but paracentral. And the nerve is coming out right there. And then there's nerve coming right past that disc to come out right here. And, uh, and uh, so a lot of the things are paraspinal. Uh, ligaments in the neck are very important to maintain our alignment and our connection to the head. Both the ALL and the PLL come up and attach to the skull and the ligaments in the back come up and attach to the skull. Interestingly, the, uh, there are eight cervical nerves, and they come out, uh, number one, it comes out above C1, number two, above C2, above C3, above C4, above C5, above C6, above C7, and C8 is above T1, and then T1 is below T1, and then from there on, everything exits out below the uh, corresponding vertebral body. Uh, and. Um, the mid to lower neck is the usual area. C4, 5, 5, 6 are the most frequent areas for the disc to herniate, and then C6, 7. Uh, and then uh, 2, 3 uh, does not get affected very much. I, I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's, uh, it's protected for some reason, and, and uh, it doesn't get affected. Now, sometimes C1, we talked about transitional anatomy. Sometimes C1 will be partially attached to the skull, which again limits your motion. Uh, sometimes you'll have uh, uh, auto fusions, congenital fusions of the neck, as, uh, use, uh, as you'll see in a couple of slides. Here again is an x-ray of a normal looking uh, neck and a normal looking MRI. Here's your spinal cord, this gray thing here. The white's the cerebral spinal fluid that's made and resorbed in your brain, goes all the way down to your sacrum. It's, in real life it's clear, computer makes it white so we can see it. In some other MRI sequences it's, it's dark, but you can see your ligaments very nicely. Uh, MRI's uh, uh, been a fantastic tool. Uh, th this shot here, I, I, I put it here for this reason right here, for this little piece of tissue called a meniscoid synovial fold. And there's some that think that this can be a pain generator. And what happens typically, somebody says, I bent over to pick up a pencil, a letter, something very light. And when they came up, they had horrific pain and they're stuck like this. What they, what, uh, they think happens is that when you bend forward, this joint, this goes this way, uncovers this. And uh, sometimes this gets flipped into here, and when it comes back, this gets trapped and gets pinched, and there are a lot of nerves attached to the synovium, and that causes a significant pain. That uh, is one condition that can often be alleviated with uh, manipulation uh, to get it on trap. But it usually gets better in, in a few days. Uh, here's the nerve coming out right here. You can see that in the cross section. And you can see how if this guy gets arthritic, it can impinge on the one above it. 
uh, or if, if, if this space here collapses, this gets, can get trapped. And again, you've got some vessels here. Now, the vessels also can get engorged, and, and the blood vessels have nerves to them as well. And the engorgement of the blood vessels can also be another source of, 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 of pain. And you may have to go in and arrange it. Uh, so anybody see anything wrong with this? Uh, this is a sagittal or a, a lateral view of a neck. This is a CAT scan, a CT scan. Uh, which one? So that's a three, four, five, six, seven. So you're saying this is fused. Two, three is fused. Two, three is fused. This is congenital fusion. This is degenerative. And there's trauma right here. This happens to be an unfortunate gentleman who was in a motorcycle accident and sustained this injury. Um, and I, was, I happened to be in the surgical lounge at the, at the time that they were doing this exploratory laparotomy for internal injuries. And the trauma surgeon uh, came into the lounge and put this up on the, uh, on the viewfinder and said, can you come in and straighten this out? I said, well, where is he? He's in the operating room. I'm, gonna, um, I'm finishing with his belly. He's, maybe he can come in and, and straighten it, because he's kind of off to the side. And uh, I looked at this, and I, this, is, this is severe soft tissue uh, injury as well. As you can see, look at that gap. His head got pulled somehow, and, he, and instead of separating up here, separated here. But this shows the congenital anomaly here of C2 and C3, autofused here. You can see increased space between C1 and C2 here. He has a congenital huge C2, um, probably joining with C3 vertebral artery foramen. So if you were going to come in and put a screw through here, you don't have enough room to do it. We went in, uh, had the fluoroscopy. I had two of my res residents with me. And uh, uh, he was uh, quadriplegic, and uh, he was intubated. He had massive soft tissue swelling. We couldn't budget. We tried to move it uh, gently under C-arm. I tried to put a little traction. I tried to do everything I knew what to do, and at the end it looked just like that, and I couldn't fix it. He expired uh, the next day. Massive soft tissue swelling here, by the way, as well. And look, look at the space. Oh, that's not too bad on this view, but uh, it, it all depends on the cut. We don't see the full C1, but uh, there's a lot of space between the skull and one on that view, and this view doesn't look too bad. But anyway, what are some of the different types of pain? When we, talk, we use a lot of lingo, and, and the neurosurgeons have lingo, the orthopedic surgeons have lingo, the radiologists have lingo, the physiatrists have lingo, and, and we, we mesh and cross in some areas. And uh, the dentists have lingo <laughs> as well, right? They have different types. But actual pain typically comes from the actual skeleton. Um, and uh, for example, a compression fracture, uh, some of the arthritis that we talked about, and it would be coming from the actual skeleton. Radicular pain would be coming from a nerve that's being pinched, uh, refer sending that pain and the distribution of that nerve. Uh, typically, your sciatic nerve follows S1 or L5, and, uh, and it will come down the back of the thigh, all the way down to the foot, your bottom of your foot, the side of your foot can go numb. And we also have pain that's uh, referred pain. For example, you have a tumor that's referring pain. You've got uh, liver issues that can be referring pain to the back, uh, uh, gallbladder. Uh, here, I, I used the example of abdominal aortic aneurysm causing back pain. And when I was an intern, I, I was uh, in the emergency, I the emergency room to see this gentleman who had back and abdominal pain. And the problem wasn't his back. The problem was he had a huge pulsating AAA. And we took him to surgery the next day. And uh, I was rewarded uh, by, for finding it by being allowed to scrub in. And you had the attending, you had the fellow, you had the chief resident, you had the uh, junior resident, and then you had me all the way down at the bottom reaching over holding a uh, retractor. And, um, they exposed it all, they, they put their loops above it and below it, and then we watched it split. And, and I heard somebody say, there it goes. And I had, fortunately, one of those face masks that came down like this because it hit me right in the face. Right in the face. It's one of those things, you, you see it go and you see the, the aorta just, just splitting, and it was just a And it got me in the face. I'm proud to say I maintained my position. I never left my post. I held onto that retractor until they got control and got everything done, and then they looked at me and said, Oh, you can, go you can go get cleaned up. So I went and got cleaned up, put on another mask, and came back and scrubbed back in. Uh, and he made it. He made it. Uh, so good. Neuropathic pain. This is becoming more and more prominent. Uh, a lot of it has to do with diabetes. Uh, alcoholism can lead to that, B12 deficiencies. And then even the healthiest of people can get neuropathic pain for whatever reason. But you've got uh, 4 million people in the US per year that have neuropathic pain. It can be a primary lesion in one of the nerves. It can be a dysfunction of the nervous system. Uh, you can have uh, 
uh, post-herpetic neuralgia, it can be uh, HIV-related disorders, uh, chronic radiculopathy, and a lot of times it's hard to diagnose it uh, because a lot of times people come in, they have that plus everything else. You know, they ha and you have to go through and try to sort out exactly what they have. Um, uh, and then you have a lot of comorbidities, the diabetes, hypertension, kidney disease, heart disease, liver disease, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a mess. Uh, chronic neuropathic pain uh, also can be uh, secondary to an injury and it can last uh, for a lot longer. Uh, complex regional pain syndrome used to be called reflex sympathy dystrophy. You, you probably remember that. You have type one, type two. You know, the difference is type two has a nerve injury that may have happened. Could have been a pinched nerve, could have been a post-surgical, could have been traumatic, could have been whatever. And uh, um, I, I, I knew a lady, a, a patient, some years ago that had this in her form and the pain was so bad she was going doctor to doctor trying to find somebody to cut her arm off because it hurt so much. She, and, and finally she found somebody in Cleveland, I think, that took her arm off. Uh, but it can be a very, very debilitating thing where people say, just take it off, please. But what happens if you just take it off? Oh, this is post-herpatic neuralgia uh, from uh, shingles. And 50% uh, it, it, of patients over 70 years old 70 years old, continue to experience significant pain and debilitation for well over a year. That's uh, not too, uh, that's kind of disconcerting for me because my almost 102-year-old grandmother currently has shingles. I got a phone call on the way here that grandma's got shingles. I go, oh, that's not good. That's not good. She's almost 102 years old. But that can lead to constant burning type of pain and, and uh, you can get shingles in your optic nerve. I had a patient with shingles in her eye. Very painful. Very painful. Your facial nerve, very painful. It can be extremely debilitating. It can cause uh, pain. Uh, it may uh, mimic uh, uh, TMJ. Uh, uh, it, it, can, it can just uh, be a very, very debilitating type of pain, this post-herpactic neuralgia. Now this well is referring to post-amputation pain. We get a lot of trauma at uh, Hurley Medical Center, so level one trauma center, and uh, sometimes you get the mangled extremities and you try to save them, but uh, you tell the patient, look, I can spend hours trying to save it. You can spend two years in and out of the operating room, and at the end, you'll have a stump and painful leg. We either take it off now or we take it off later. I'd rather take it off now because people get attached to their extremities, and two years later, even though it's just a stump that's painful, they don't want it taken off, and, and what can you do? So, but uh, uh, you've heard of phantom pain? Yeah. Uh, what happens is if I t lose my leg, and to uh, amputate my leg, you have to cut through my femoral nerve, you have to cut through my uh, sciatic nerve, right? And what happens is when a nerve gets transected, it, it tries to reattach itself and send out little feeders, and you get kind of a bulbous end, it's called a neuroma, and that can be very painful. What we do is we pull down on the nerve, and then we cut it so it'll pop back up and try to avoid the area where you're putting pressure on your stump. And then you need a very well-fitting stump. But also remember that the brain for years said any input coming from that nerve means there's a leg there, right? So my brain says anything coming from those nerves means there's a, there's a foot, there's toes, and so the brain's imprinted with that, and that is one of the explanations I've been told about why people still say, I can feel my foot, I can feel my leg, it still hurts, phantom pain. And this is one of the conditions that you might uh, be able to use a spinal cord stimulator, and I've got a couple slides on that. Chronic chest wall pain syndrome. So we go in to do an anterior procedure through the chest. You put your rib spreaders in. The nerve comes out underneath the rib. So when you spread the ribs, you're in essence pressing on that, on that, on that nerve, right? And I, uh, you can have chronic pain in the distribution of that nerve along the incision. And sometimes you need to have some, uh, uh, some ganglion blocks done. Or you can transect the nerve or do a, a spinal cord stimulator. So a spinal cord stimulator therapy uh, can be helped for these if nothing else works. Ilianguinal hernia pain, you get hernia repair, very common procedure, right? You, we all know people that have had hernia repairs, but that can also lead to some chronic pain, uh, either with the ilioinguinal nerve, the iliohypogastric nerve, general femoral nerve, it can go into the groin, it can go into the genitalia, uh, it can go into the medial inside of the thighs, and uh, that can also uh, be a chronic pain syndrome. Well, what about failed back surgery syndrome? Somebody has surgery, maybe they have one surgery, two back surgery, three back surgeries, four back surgeries. I had a patient that came in when I counted up all the back surgeries, it was like eight. And she still had back pain. So I worked her up, I said, you know, there's not much to do here. I, you got a little bit of stenosis here, but I don't think it's gonna take care of, I think you've just got failed back uh, uh, syndrome. 
cost $20 billion annually. Now, the other thing I would say to you is that chronic back pain, or back pain, not chronic, but back pain, is the uh, second most common visit to the doctor, second after uh, upper respiratory infections. And it's uh, the uh, direct cost has been estimated to about, uh, be about $100 billion. The indirect cost, nobody can put a fig figure on. Your indirect costs include lost worker productivity, uh, people losing their jobs, losing their homes because they can't pay their, their mortgage, uh, family dissolution, dis dissolution where uh, the, the, uh, because of the, the main breadwinner uh, can't work anymore, financial pressures and families divorce. Uh, all the effects for years on the family. Kids may become truant and uh, maybe they become thieves or maybe they go out and kill somebody because all the psychosocial issues go, all the societal issues go along with that. The indirect cost cannot be measured. But $100 billion just in the charges generated uh, are, is a lot of money. And 80% of the people in the United States, they say, will have back pain at some point in their life. Most of the time it gets better, uh, but uh, a lot of times it doesn't. You have a lot of psychosocial uh, disorders. I don't know about the, you guys in your practice, but it seems to me I am seeing a lot more people coming in saying they're bipolar. They're bipolar. Even teenagers coming in saying, uh, what's, I'm going through a medical history, you circle mental disorders, what do you have? Oh, I'm bipolar. Uh, also, I have major depression. So I'm seeing a lot more depression in, in people all the way down to, the, to teenagers and the kids. I'm seeing a lot more bipolar. I'm seeing schizoaffective disorders, uh, anxiety, somatization, all these personality disorders, secondary gain issues. The government owes me. You know, I serve my country. They owe me. Uh, I work for uh, General Motors. They owe me. Everybody owes them, but they don't say I owe myself to do my best to get better. But everybody owes them something. And uh, they all have, not all, but uh, they, I'll say, you have an attorney in your case. What's that for? That's to help me get Social Security benefits. That's to help me get SSI. That's to help me with my disability. Why are you disabled? You're walking and you're talking. Oh, because my back hurts. I can't work. Why can't you find a, why don't you go back to school? I had a, a gentleman that I saw, and uh, we, we did, he had instability, so we fused him. And uh, uh, I got laid off work. I said, well, use this time to better yourself. Go back to school. Go, go find some help. Uh, go to the colleges and then get some uh, counseling. Go online. Go to the library. Find something to better yourself for your family. A year later, he comes back in says, so what have you done the last year? Nothing. Remember how we talked about going to school and all that? Did you do any of that? No. His wife's in the corner like this with her head in her hands. No motivation. He's got a family. He's got children. No motivation to do something to get himself because he's got some back pain. Well. Uh, I get people saying, now, uh, can you put me in disability? I go, I, I don't do that. If you're walking and talking, you can find a job. It may take some creativity, but you can work. Uh, I know quadriplegics that go to work. I know uh, people that are paraplegic that go to work. You're walking, you're talking. Uh, do something, uh, get, have some initiative. So um, uh, here's, here's what I was talking about, uh, up to 80%, 100 billion annually, but the societal costs goes beyond financial, beyond financial. All the psychological distress, all the related illness behaviors that lead to instability. And this is from an article in the Spine Journal just this year. Um, spine pain, second only to upper respiratory infections, as cause of work absenteeism. Accounts for 41 to 87% of workers' compensation costs is the most common industrial injury in the United States. When I was sent to Haiti with the Navy, I spent six months in Haiti with the Navy, and we'd go throughout Haiti, throughout the Port-au-Prince area, uh, they have these carts that uh, normally a horse would haul, but people haul them. Um, and I saw this gentleman, he looked like he was probably in his 60s or so, in the heat of the day, hauling this thing loaded up with bananas or rice, whatever. And if you tell them, I'll pay you to haul it from this side of the island or that side of the island, they'll do it. There's no Social Security down there. If you don't work, you don't eat. But here, oh, I can't work because my back hurts. Um, but anyway, it's the most common industrial injury, high workers' compensation costs. Look at this. The opioid use of spine for spine pain increased from 9.42 million prescriptions in 1997 to almost 20 million in 2004. The injections, injections have become very popular. You've got injection clinics on, uh, on, all, on every corner, and uh, they do all sorts of different injections. It's exploded in popularity. Just facet procedures alone, the facets are the joints in the spine. Just procedures involving the facet joints alone have gone up over 500% from 1997 to 2006. Again, this is uh, from the Spine Journal uh, from MJ Smith et al. in uh, this year. 
the, uh, there's, not, there's a certain amount of morbidity associated because there's unintentional overdose deaths with uh, opioid use that's gone up tenfold in the past 30 years. Uh, there's also some evidence to suggest that it may decrease the function of the immune system, affect your hormone levels, and therefore can lead to an increased sensitivity to pain. But they're not alone. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, your ibuprofen, what's in Motrin, Advil, Nuprin, your Aleve, which is Naproxen, your, your all these other ones uh, that they have out there, 16,500 deaths per year from the use of NSAIDs. Uh, and lumbar MRIs, uh, you guys know how much an MRI costs. Look, they've uh, gone from 349,000 MRIs to 1.42 million in a 10-year span from 94 to 2004. That has costs. Who pays for that? A lot of it, you and me. For, uh, for the, because insurance costs go up every year. Uh, we just had a partner meeting. Our insurance cost for our employees is going up 20 to 25% this year. And it did that last year and the year before, before long. I just hope we make it till I can retire, so. Uh, but anyway, what are some of the risk factors for back pain? Repetitive lifting or pulling, obesity. Look at this one, lack of exercise and inactivity, sedentary lifestyle. When you, uh, when you guys and, uh, and myself, when we were growing up, we used to go outside and play, right? Now you almost have to pay the kids to go outside and play and get away from their, whatever they're using their thumbs on, whether it be their, uh, their, their Game Boys or their computers or uh, uh, to go out and play. We talked about cigarette smoking, pregnancy, uh, vibrations, uh, chronic vibrations, uh, depression, and psychological issues. Uh, it's been documented that psychological issues um, can adversely affect whatever treatment plan you have, whether it's non-operative or whether it's operative. Uh, lack of compliance, uh, lack of motivation, osteoporosis, arthritic disorders. I like this slide. This slide tells us how fat we are. Uh, this is from 2010, and uh, this is the percent of the population. I'm from Michigan. 29% of our population is obese. The leanest state is Colorado at 19.1. The fattest state is Mississippi at almost 34% of their population is obese. And uh, this is from 2010. Um, and even in your sunshine states where you think people are outside uh, working out and all that, it, they're, they're still pretty high. They're still pretty high. And everybody, well, Colorado is the leanest in 19. Everybody's above 19%. That's a lot of obesity. And in, in Michigan, I, I, I have a lot of patients that come in. I have four, five, 600 pounds. My back hurts. I'm sorry, what do you want me to do? You're, you're too big for my table. I can't put your face down because you won't be able to breathe. Uh, you know, lose a couple hundred pounds and come back. Um, I'm sorry, you know, what else can I do? My hands are tied. And uh, we'll, we'll go through uh, some of these therapies here. Uh, typical treatment, uh, not so anti-inflammatories. We'll start from here, work our way around. Uh, physical therapy, I use a lot of physical therapy. I want the therapist to teach the patient how to exercise properly at home. And I'm going to go quickly because they, they, I got the five-minute signal. Uh, complementary medicine, behavioral programs in this area here would fit uh, uh, what we would call alternative uh, treatments. The diet that we've been talking about and, and uh, some of these other things would fit in that area. Uh, I, the last thing I want to do is surgery. And the last thing I want to do is, is use a lot of uh, um, their, uh, uh, narcotics. This is the uh, spinal cord stimulator implant system that I use. I'm going to go through that. Indications are multiple, arachnoiditis, phantom limping. We talked about all that. We'll just go through this uh, quickly. Now, uh, I want to get to this part here. The world is on the precipice, right? Things are happening very quickly to finish the end of this world. People are, are, uh, are also at the brink because of their back pain, their neck pain. They do not know what to do. If they, some of them feel that if they take another step forward, they're going to fall down the precipice. What can we do for them? Everybody tells them, my uncle's brother's neighbor's son did this and got better. No, 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 my niece did this. There's so much uh, information out there in the internet and, and everything points in a different direction. What do you do? How do you make sense of this? How can we help them? And it's up to us as health professionals to tell people that there's a God that will lead you in a calm manner beside the still waters. You need to take that time. He will show you the path of life. The sun is setting on this world, brothers and sisters. It's setting on this world and it won't be much longer. We don't have much time. We don't have much time. But we ourselves have to be careful that we do not forget to be still and know that there is a God. If we don't feed ourselves, we can't feed anybody else, right? We need to know and we need to go a step at a time and take it a patient at a time. But I'm happy to report to you and you can take it to the bank that eventually there's going to be an end to pain management. Eventually, you and I will be out of business. 
And I'm looking forward to that day because God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. God tells us in Isaiah 66, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. If we remember these promises of God and apply them patient by patient, not all patients may want you to pray with them. I've, uh, I told my, when I first got to Michigan uh, from the Navy in 99, I told one of my nurses, I told Santa, that's her name, Santa, you can guess what, what day she was born on. I said, Santa, have you ever seen me start to operate without praying? You stop me. You have carte blanche to stop me. To this day, X number, what, 11 years later, 12 years later, uh, if she doesn't start the case with me, she'll stick her hand in the room and say, did you do your thing? And if I did, I say, yes, ma'am. And I, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot I got in her. People say, what's your thing? I pray. I pray. I've gone and prayed with people in the preoperative holding area. But if we take it a patient at a time, we may not be able to help everybody. But we can take it a patient time, and we'll be able to climb any mountain that the devil tries to throw in our way. This is Machu Picchu uh, in Peru. And we climbed, the, we climbed up this face right here. And we were right up here, right at the very top as you can get. Uh, this is called Juana Pichu, and the Machu Picchu is actually, we're facing the mountain, Machu Picchu is back this way. This is Juana Picchu, and Machu Picchu is the mountain before. Juana, Machu Picchu is like twice as tall. We climbed that last time we were there. But uh, 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 when, when we climbed it, uh, I was sick with sin sinus infection. I didn't think I could do it, but my, my oldest here stuck with me, and, uh, and they stayed with me and uh, said, are you having chest pain? So, no, no, no. So anyway, <laughs> he was a great kid. So, I encourage you to uh, pray for your patients, pray with your patients when, uh, when, it, uh, when it's feasible, and remember, be still and know that He is God. Thank you very much. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.